Well, as a preface, we're continuing in John, and the thing that John has been talking about is he's been addressing uh, two different heresies that have were plaguing the church at that time, and they're the same things that have always plagued things. And he makes that clear by giving an example that goes back to Adam and Eve, the Cain and Abel, which we'll look at in a second. But the thing that he says has always been going on is going on now for him in the church, uh, now for us in the church, had been going on back at the time of Cain and Abel, is this struggle between the idea of salvation or righteousness or being deemed worthy uh, because we've done the right thing, or what you might, you could label it as uh, a righteousness of works is one way of putting it. There's that concept and that way of patterning and pushing our lives and trying to solve problems by using a righteousness based on our works or the things that we do. Knowing what the right thing is and us doing it, that's the righteousness of works. And solving life's problems and addressing life and looking for goodness in life and looking for God's blessing and a connection to God on that basis. There's that way of looking at things. And then there's another way of looking at things, which is a righteousness of faith. And faith in it often, in this passage, you can tell what he's talking about because whenever he talks about righteousness, he says at the end here, verse 23, and this is the commandment, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, what Jesus Christ means, it's, it's not just the person of Jesus in history. It is connecting it to that by the name Jesus. But the word Christ wasn't his given name. It was a title that he, uh, a mission that he stepped into. And, and what the, the Christ meant was that he would be our Savior. And what we have talked about, that the message that went out to people isn't just that he was the Savior, but he brings it up in this passage too when he says he uh, laid his life down for us. And so we should also, the, the, the point is that we needed a Savior who had to die for us, that, that we couldn't be saved outside of the idea of someone outside of humanity coming in and paying the price for what we've done, that, that, that salvation required that to happen. It had to happen that way. Not just that it did or that it could, but that it must be that way. There was no other way to have salvation outside of that. And so there's this other way of looking at things and looking at life and looking at our relationships with others and with God of saying that what it is that I want can only be given. And it can only be given, and given who I am, it has to be given on the basis of forgiveness. It has to be given on the basis of a unwillingness to judge me and instead just a persistence of love that pushes even to uh, the point of not disregarding the things that I do that are wrong, but covering over the things that I do that are wrong. And The problem is, is that even though everybody in the world sees the need for this, 
a kind of love that's given based on forgiveness, there's this persistence that there must be some sort of value found in, in this other way of looking at things. That, that yes, there is occasion to have this, but that the, there has to be some sort of value pulled in. And, and what John has been saying is, is, no, that's not true, because this message is actually from the devil, he says throughout this chapter, and this message is from God, and God's message doesn't need any help from the devil. That's what he's been saying. But we don't see it that way, and that's why that's a little bit shocking for him to just bring that up. And and so what he does here to start with is he brings out the story of Cain and Abel. I, I almost sort of ditched a chapter and just started looking at Cain and Abel. But, and, and we'll look at Cain and Abel at some point. But he, he just brings out something interesting about Cain and Abel because this message of grace and works is coming from, in their context and in ours also, coming from within the church. In other words, everybody's worshiping God, but one is worshiping under this message or with this attached, this idea of works, and, and one is just holding to uh, this other message of just Jesus. In other words, one is just saying, everything good that comes to my life, I'm finding out, is just given to me as a free gift from God, completely apart from everything that I've done. And and a lot of the things that I did that I thought was right, that was making these happen, I've now come to realize actually wasn't right. It was wrong, but God gave it anyways. That's one way that goes in our heart. But then there's another section of the church and people, and even in our heart, that that pulls us this other way of saying, no, no, something good must come from me understanding right and wrong and and doing what is good, choosing to do what is good instead of choosing to do what what is right. And, And so the story of Cain and Abel starts with the same context, two people worshiping God, two people giving sacrifices to God. But God has regard for one and doesn't have regard for the other. And if we were to look into the story, we might be able to... We'll talk about something that might be a difference. But, but the point of it in here, he doesn't mention it because it doesn't really matter. What he says is, Cain offered a sacrifice to God. You could say he did what was right. He offered an act... He did a work, but God had no regard for that. And you can tell by his response that he became grieved and he eventually killed his brother that he felt like, in seeing how God responded to Abel, that he, by the power of his act or his work, was somehow deserving of a response from God. And it turns out it wasn't. What that means for us, just in short, aside from this argument within the church, you know, a theological type thing, but just putting into real practical terms that's really important for us to understand is that just because we have done something, that doesn't in any way, shape, or form convey any amount of love to anyone. And oftentimes we become bitter 
and hardened and depressed and our heart changes towards someone else because we think we've done these acts of love or acts of things in benefit of this person or just acts that we feel like in and of themselves should convey something to them and we're angry that it didn't. Even though it, there was no reason for it to convey love because we actually didn't love them. <laughs> That's the funny thing about it. In other words, God's just. If there was some sort of demand on the part of Cain for him offering this sacrifice for God to respond, he would have responded. But what he's saying is there was no reason for me to attach my feelings to this. And it wasn't that God didn't love Cain because even after Cain killed Abel, God still conversed with him. He still talked with him. He still gave him life. He still heard his requests and honored it and gave him things. The love of God was there. But there was nothing there in his heart or nothing there behind the act for God to respond to. In other words, if you have kids, by the fact that you feed your kids and put clothes on their back and take them to school, that says nothing, actually. You may think it does, and you may become very frustrated when your kids don't appreciate it because you've... It, it, it's actually a meaningless thing. Lots of parents don't love their kids, but pay for their kids to do a go private school, all sorts of different things. It's a meaningless thing. That what's meaningful is whether someone loves you or not. And just because someone is doing something or giving something or offering something up to you or you are offering something up to someone else that has no bearing, it has no connection, there's nothing intrinsic in it that says anything about our heart. That's what you learn from Cain. Well, what you see from Abel is that if there is something there in your heart, then your heart will always find a way to express it. He's encouraging us and encouraging the church not to put weight in what we think we've done. To put weight on the... Instead of having a struggle to do, 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 do this that's right or this or right by that that will demand a response from other people that will create a change... Instead, he's asking us to say, what is it that's actually going to change our heart? Because if our heart is changed, then we will find some way to express it. And what he's saying is is the, the message of works has no power whatsoever to change anyone's heart. And that's why it never addresses any problems. I remember Karen took this classic cow, and there's this guy that wrote this biography about all these different revolutions that happened in France and about the changes that people were wanting to see imposed by the changing of laws, the changing of government, and changing of this. And he says, I, after about third of, two-thirds of the way through the book, he says, I've noticed a strange thing that whenever we change governments and change the laws... It's always the same people in charge no matter what we do (laughs) because they instinctively know. Whenever we change up the game rules, they know how to work the game (laughs) to be at the top. In other words, he's saying, look, 
the, the things that we want to address by laws and, and by government change and different things like this, people are just going to find new ways of working around. Well, it doesn't do anything. But we keep having this hope in that. He says, the only thing that you can actually have any kind of hope in is a change of heart. And he says, it turns out that the only thing, the only hope that we have for a change of heart is this message about Jesus. Us coming to understand that we've messed up, not for the purpose of putting us down below everyone else, but for the purpose of us being able to understand how much it is that God loves us. And as we understand this love that God has for us, that will change our heart. And as our heart changes or softens, as we start to love again, then that love will find a way to express itself. Now here's where he goes after that example of Cain and Abel. He says, this is how we know what love is. So he's saying the only way that our heart can change and love is what he said in other places. We love because uh, he first loved us type thing. He's saying that, that we really need to experience love. And, and how is it that we can experience it? When we experience love, that softens our heart. Rules aren't going to soften it. Rules aren't going to create a love. He says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. He says, if any one of you has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need and has no pity on them, in other words, there's something, it's the word he's using there is something in your heart is stirring towards that. It's not a matter of him giving out a law to say you must do this or you need to give this amount of money or you need to pay this tax to cover this. He's saying what we need is to see someone in need and to have at least enough care for that person or desire to care for them that something in our heart stirs. And when that happens, it's going to find a way to express itself. And he says, and this all begins by us coming to understand Jesus Christ, the Savior, laid down his life for us. That as we come to grab a hold of that, in other words, a lot of times in the church, we, and even outside the church, people feel like there's this moment of forgiveness, and this moment of forgiveness is a chance for us to now start over, and the opportunity that provides is for us to now get things right. But that is not the opportunity. The opportunity is, is that now we've understand that, that we need forgiveness, and the opportunity, and we don't understand how much forgiveness we need, but it's our opportunity for us to see that God's love for us is willing to, when Jesus died on the cross for us, it wasn't that God love, God's love for us began at the moment that Jesus died. His love, he says, began when it was the Son of God came down. His love didn't even begin then. His love began someplace before that, and the love caused him to send his son. 
The, the love was there before, and, and the love caused him to say, I'm going to pay the price for them. And, and all the setting the sun down and, and the actions that proceeded from that, that was all there for us to understand how much God loves us. And as we understand how much God loves us, that softens our hearts. But he's also saying something there in terms of this argument that he's bringing up a memory that he has of Jesus where John, where Jesus says, well, I think this is where we left off in John and started looking at 1 John, where, where John says, greater love has no one than this that one lay down his life for a friend. So what, what does that mean for us in, in practical application? Being a friend will do more to change our life than anything else. Oftentimes when people talk about just being a friend, we think about it as imposing some sort of laziness on the situation. Or or this side of things say, you know, unless there's some sort of law, some sort of adherence to God's laws, uh, some sort of... So we'll all drift into lawlessness and, and, you know, that there has to be some sort of pressure implied, you know, applied to us, some sort of fear applied, or else we'll just go crazy, that it, it, somehow nothing good will be accomplished by that. But what John's saying is, is no, actually, if you have a change of heart, it will cause you to do the greatest form of love, which is to lay your life down for your friend. In other words, the change that occurs when our heart is changed is greater and completely dwarfs whatever hope we had in changing things and in in bringing up this idea of works. Do you see what that is? People bring up this idea of works because of a hope for change. But the only hope for change that we have is actually found in this other message. In in us, something changing in our hearts. Uh, This is a silly example, but Karen told me this week. She was in a uh, a big thing with a lot of leaders in Oakland, and the point of it was to uh, educate everyone, basically, for some change that, that needs to happen. And Karen had talked to the the lady who gave the presentation afterwards, and, and she was a, a believer. And, but she said something interesting that in the meeting that, you know, that was ended up being afterwards, you know, well, whatever, just things people were talking about. It was an African-American, older African-American woman, and she said that there's an odd thing happening now that a lot of change that's pushing forward that that you wouldn't know it, but if you knew the different people that were pushing things forward, there's just this odd thing that's happening right now where a lot of things are being pushed forward by white grandmothers that have an African-American grandson. (laughs) Okay, that's an odd thing to bring up. But what she was clearly saying is, is once someone's heart becomes attached to a situation, and you feel love towards someone, 
that completely changes the way you look at things and the way you approach things and the amount of effort that you put forward. That, that if your grandson is going through something difficult, you will throw your whole life into something. And, and what she was trying to say is, is we're, we're making all these changes and we're trying to educate things, but, but there's something greater needs to happen. People, we, we need to actually start being friends. No caring, something needs to happen there. But on this work side of things, that's almost degraded sometimes, or just dismissed. Or, or just a, but on this other side of things, that's the whole point. That's the whole point. That's why he brought up last week in his seed, all the nations will be blessed. It wasn't a love for Israel. It was that in his seed, in this salvation that God is providing, it will be something that will change our hearts towards all the nations and towards everybody. He says here in closing, this is how we know that we belong to the truth. He says before that, dear children, let us not love with words or tongues, but with actions and in truth. In other words, uh, with actions or works that are coming from truth. And this is how we know we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our heart condemns us and we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything, Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from Him anything that we ask because we keep His commands and we do what pleases Him. What does He mean by we keep His commands? He, he says it next. And this is what I, what his, this is His command to believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as He commanded us. What, what He's saying is this. The command that he's talking about or the righteousness that he's talking about is something that happens to our heart as we really start to believe and sort of internalize and sort of take on and grow in what it is that we heard from the very beginning, what it is that we first came to Jesus about, that we need forgiveness for our sins, we need help, we need his love to be based on forgiveness and on what he will do for us. We need his love to persist in spite of the fact that, that we keep messing things up. And, and about that, he says something interesting. He says, this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence by, of that. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. And then he says what the value of that is, is that if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask. What's he saying from that? On this side of things, we're basically relying on, I love this person, I care for this person, and so 
there's going to be things that my heart will convict me of. On this side, it has nothing to do with a heart convicting you. It has to do with a set of rules or a set of standards that thereby I violate it. But over here, what's being violated is our own heart. And he says that, that we will be able to make changes or we will just naturally make changes as I see that like what I'm doing causes harm to the person that I love. And because I love them and my heart's convicting me on that, I will make a change. But what he clearly says is, is God is greater than all that because he knows everything. <laughs> In other words, on this side of things, we falsely think that something is happening that isn't happening, that our heart is changing and it's not changing. It has nothing to do with change. It's just us manipulating the laws around to make it seem as though we're law abiders. But there is no compassion that's there. there there's, and that's why God's always rejected that. He says, I, I, I don't care about the sacrifices that you make on this side. I, I want you to have compassion, your heart to be softened. But he says, on this other side, yes, some things may change. More will change than on this. But even with all that change, we're still going to be going around hurting each other and just not even being aware of it. Most of the stuff that we do to other people to cause harm to them to, are, you know, things that we don't even recognize. Little comments that we make, little looks that we have, little ways that we, you know, our displeasure, our hardness of heart. In this example, he says that all moves to hate and murderous things, but even at its beginning stages of just indifference towards people, our heart always finds a way to express itself. And we don't really care about someone when we're dismissive of someone, when we <clears throat> are thinking that we're better than that person. We will always find a way to express that. And people will always see that. But we love expressing it in such a way that we'll be able to say, what, I didn't say anything? You know, I, why would you say that, that I said that? It says, on this side, there is some amount of, oh, you know, I can't believe that was really stupid of me to say that. I'm sorry I shouldn't have said that. And you know, that type of thing. That, that's going to happen over here, and, and that will actually accomplish more than over here. But even at that, it's not going to be enough. God knows, and, and God works things out. And, and the point of this side it is never that things are working out because I figured it out, and I now know that what hurts this person, and so now I'm going to do things. That, that's, that may happen, but that has... The hope has nothing to do with that. The hope is that God will step into the situation and he will make things right. And that's why that hope leads to what he says is you're just going to start asking God for things. That's because that's all that makes sense from this side of things. And on this side of things, it, it leads to us, there's really not that much of a reason why we would need to ask God for anything because we're handling most of the stuff. I don't necessarily need to pray and ask God for help in this situation because I kind of already have a grip on the situation and I've, you know, YouTube the snot out of this and I kind of see how it needs to proceed and how it needs to be built. And so now it's just a matter of me doing it. 
and I'm going to save the prayers for something that's a little more meaningful or something that just needs a little Or maybe for someone that, like, there's just obviously no hope for that person. We'll put some prayer out for Uncle Joe or, you know, someone else like that that's, you know, obviously needs some prayer type thing. He says it becomes evident. And he's not saying there's these people that see the love of God and see the grace. And then there's these other people that, that go on works and, and they try and justify this. What he's saying is, is that in our own hearts, there's a battle going on. And you can feel it. Everybody sees. You don't have to be a believer. You could be a complete atheist. And you see the need for this kind of forgiveness and this kind of salvation. Even Nietzsche saw the need for that. Everyone sees the need for that. There's a part of our heart. But then there's this other part that he says is really from the devil that's pulling us to address things by what we need to or could do. And what he's saying is, is just hold to this part. Don't let a little of the leaven in over here. He says, don't, don't let this mess. It's there. We're going to struggle with it. That's what the struggle is going to be. But, but he says, just hold to this and, and see if this isn't true. And, and as we see that this is true, it'll soften our hearts. We'll find rest that, yeah, I mean, I don't want to, I mean, I really love this person. I really hate when I cause harm and mess things up, I just want to quit saying stupid things and, and doing so. Yes, that's going to happen. But the hope isn't that you're solving the problem. The hope is that what we should be seeing through this whole thing, that no matter what I change, I'm still in the situation where I need God to be better, bigger than this whole process. I need him to know more than my heart is going to know. I need him to address more. And that just comes down to me asking. And he says that, in a sense, if we want to see some sort of progress, because this side is saying, here's the progress that you will see if you're really following the message of Jesus. What you will see is that you'll start having a life where there is no sin in it anymore. And that's a ridiculous thing to say. But to some sort of extent, you'll see some sort of change where you're better. And what he's saying over here is, is well, there might be some sort of change that makes you better, but it's not the type of change that takes away our need for Jesus to step into the situation. It's not the type of change that would bring us away from the only logical conclusion, which would be we just need to ask for some help from God from Jesus. A help that is apart from anything we may or may not do wrong. A help that is apart from anything our heart may or may not convict us from. And for us, as that battle is going, that, that's in, in a sense, a, I don't want to say litmus test, I don't know how to put it, but if you're looking To say, this is who I am over here. You know, I know there's this part of me, God, that keeps messing things up on this side of things, that keeps offering up sacrifices that has no reason for you to have regard for. But, but just uh, let this be me. 
to whatever extent I'm holding to the promise of your son, Jesus Christ. And that message, and that kind of salvation, and that kind of righteousness that's given as a gift based on this belief that that you've given us a Savior that, that had to die and did die for us. As we're trying to figure out what's that battle, I don't even know if I should say this. I'm just going to, I don't know. You're going to have to have some grace with me. My fear is that if I say this, everyone's going to say, oh, well, we just need to go out and just do that. It's not going out and doing it. That's the point. You'll find that your heart is driving you towards it. Does that make sense? On this side, when we're giving in and our identity, and it's just words and deeds, and we're just giving words and deeds to this message of Jesus, you know, that, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I believe he's the son. I believe he died on the cross. But like my whole life is driven down here. One of the, the crucial points that we'll see is that our heart will see less and less of a need to ask God for anything. But on this side, it's going to end up just driving us more and more to see the need for prayer. Now, now the reason why I probably shouldn't have ever said that is that just like the sacrifices, it's like everybody, if you feel like you need to sacrifice, everyone's going to go sacrifice, just as with Cain did. And you see that in the church that, like, obviously prayer is something like a very big virtue on this side. Like, everyone just needs to pray. Everyone needs to have their... So I'm not at all saying that. What I'm saying is, is that What's driving you to it isn't like, oh, this is a good thing, or this is what I should do, or this is what the Bible says, or this is what... It's just in your heart, we're going to have this sense of need to be saved, of just, I don't know how I'm going to get through. It's going to be like with Moses when he says, look, I just can't go on unless you give me some... I mean, he's talking to God face-to-face as a man talks to a friend, I mean, to me, that would be like a lot of indication God's with you. He's, you know, tells people, put your hand inside, pull out leprosy. I mean, you know, it's like, throw your thing to snakes, you know, the staff and, you know, frogs, lots of things like that would make me feel like God was with me. A pillar of fire going out in front of me at night, that would make me feel that way. A cloud by day, not as much, because I just think that was fog since we're here in the area. It doesn't matter how much God's done. It's this sense of just like, I really just can't go forward. I mean, there's all sorts of reasons why Moses knows that even though God's been this way, things should change because he's messed up so badly. And the people of Israel have messed up so badly that there's a million reasons why, even though this had been clear, things have now changed and God isn't going to be with them anymore. What he's saying is, is I just need some more encouragement that this message is true, that you're going to forgive me. You're going to forgive all of Israel. Even though you've been showing your love, that I just need more of an indicator that that isn't ever going to change. 
that I'm not going to be able to change that by messing things up. That everyone else isn't going to be able to change your demeanor and you being with me and your love for me because we've just disregarded it. And that's what's going to start driving us forward as we start thinking and looking and pushing in this battle in our hearts of coming to see that, look, I need for God to love me and care for me and to hear my person and to respond and to, it says, do what I ask. It's, It's not as an order, but just an indicator that God's heart is so inclined towards me in love and care that it will overcome and pay for and make right whatever it is that I'm doing to mess all this up. And sometimes the answer that we have has nothing to do with I need this and this and this and this or I need this to work out or I need this to work out. Sometimes is all we really need is just some more encouragement, something for God to do, some way for God to say, yes, this message is true. I do love you. I do care for you. I am bringing life giving you life, and I'm continuing to give you life, and every good thing that you have is coming to you because I love you and I care for you. And your heart is convicting you enough. As it says, your heart gives you confidence before God. He's not saying that your heart understands everything that you do that's wrong. It just understands enough for us to see that this message of our need for a Savior is true. Does that make sense? When you are having problems with someone, you may see one thing that you've done that maybe needs to change. One area, everybody sees a mistake. And it's usually like a strong, you know, we're in this battle, we think, well, okay, I've done this one thing. But that doesn't compare to what they've done type thing. What he's saying is is the reason for God opening up to us or our heart convicting us of this one thing isn't to open it up to the full extent of what it is that we've done wrong. It's just enough to confirm and to let us see that what we need is forgiveness. And what we need in this situation is forgiveness. It's enough for us to see that the salvation that's required in this situation is that we love one another, that that we're friends with each other, that that we care about each other, and that we're willing to give our lives for each other. And that's what the gospel is doing for us. But again, it is in no way... This over here requires an impossibility. It requires us to know everything that we've done that's wrong. That's never going to happen. Never. This doesn't require that. It only requires a moment of sanity. 
a slight moment of honesty, a brief moment of some sort of recognition that we've done something that needs atoning for, that needs forgiveness for. Just enough to confirm this message about Jesus for us to be able to recognize that we need a Savior that that must die for us. Uh, Let's pray for a moment, and then we're going to take communion. And if there's anything in this message that stirred your heart and you thought that I want to accept Jesus as my Savior, uh, I'll pray with you right now, and you can come up and take communion as sort of an acting of that out. And for the rest of us, those that have accepted Jesus, communion is simply a reminder that this is the path we're going down, a need for a Savior that must die for us in order to save us. And that's what he's asking for us to Same, we're going to continually need reminders of that. Let's pray. Jesus, if anyone here is asking in their heart, for you to be their Savior, for, to follow you, to become a follower of you. I pray that you would uh, see that cry that's going out in their heart and that asking for forgiveness. And I pray that you would let them see and understand the forgiveness that you have for them as you'd let it, all of us see that and let it become clear. And I pray that as you say here in this passage that we didn't get to that you would give your Holy Spirit that promise of you being with us. And I pray that you would give your Holy Spirit to them right now too. Lord, we want to honor you, Jesus, as the Savior that has come into this world, as God's Son. And we want to honor the Christ, the, the mission in this remembrance of the communion and the words that you said to your disciples on that night. We lift this all up to you in your name, Jesus. Amen. The Lord Jesus, on the same night that he was betrayed, took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And in the same way, he took the cup, and after he had supped, he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Jesus, we want to remember uh, what you've done for us on the cross, and please let that pull our hearts and soften it and change our relationship with you and with others, with our brothers and sisters. Lord, we just ask you to step in and to, in the same way, give us the relationships that, that we need and we desire in the same way that you've given it to us with you through Jesus. We lift this all up to you in your name, Jesus. Amen. If you'd like to take communion, you can come up, break off a piece, and
dip it in.